the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. In the last episode, I was recording in person with my business partner, Wayne, and we actually had an in-person team retreat with a number of team members on the Gold Coast, which was amazing spending that time together, working on different projects and also having a bit of time to surf and, and just hang out and get to know each other. Wayne is back in America now and other team members have returned to their homes in different parts of Australia. In the last couple of weeks, I've been focusing on 2019 strategy and on preparing our our budget and cash flow forecast. But on today's show, we have a Binninger's client, but also a very interesting person and business owner, Bridget from Biddy Tarot. Welcome, Bridget. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you on the show. You've got such an interesting business and interesting story, and I've got so many questions to ask you. But why don't we start with a little bit of your background and how you got into the business that you're running today? Yeah, so I'm the founder and CEO of, of Biddy Tarot, which is an online learning community for people who want to read tarot and get in touch with their intuition. And Next year, we actually celebrate the 20th anniversary of Biddy Tarot, which kind of like makes me need to like pinch myself and realize how long this, this journey has been. Um, I started Biddy Tarot obviously 20 years ago when I was just starting to learn tarot for myself. And I just wanted a way to share everything that I was learning. Uh, as I learned the tarot cards and, and put it online because that was way back in 1999. The internet was just starting to blossom and I thought that would be a fun way to share my knowledge and my insights. So at that point, it was definitely a hobby. I had no concept of it being a business and it was probably more so a distraction from like I was studying accounting at university at that time. I definitely needed a creative outlet because um economics and and accounting wasn't quite my cup of tea. (laughs) Um, But over the years, you know, 10, maybe about 10 years later, I came across uh, Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, and that was very pivotal for me because it showed me that what I'd been creating as a hobby could actually turn out to be a business and everything that I had been learning and sharing online could be turned into information products. And that really set about first, I guess, like an experimentation phase um, with can this be a business? And then once I realized, yes, it can, then it certainly was in a growth phase of building that business. Now, keep in mind, I was also working in a corporate career um, for much of, you know, my like my 20s and early 30s as well. So I was sort of managing the both at the same time. And what did that transition look like? What was the point, the tipping point for you where you realized you could move into your business full time? And how long did that take from you, first of all, identifying that this could be turned from a hobby into a business to actually being able to leave your corporate role? Yeah, it's it was a really tough decision because on paper, it looks kind of crazy to go from a six-figure salary in a large financial institution 
to go and read tarot online. Um, and certainly when I handed in my resignation and told them what I was doing next, uh, everyone was kind of looking at me really funny and thinking like, what are you doing? Um, but for me, you know, I, when I, when I started my corporate career, I was so engaged in it and it felt like it was completely within my calling. Like it was my purpose to be there and to, I was working as a management consultant and then in human resource management. And, even though I had a really great start where I just felt super engaged, I got to a point though in my corporate career where I started feeling like, ugh, this is so out of alignment for me. I don't enjoy turning up to work. I don't enjoy being told what to do. I don't enjoy like having to fill out spreadsheets and think about how much we can save the company when we make people redundant. Uh, it just got really out of alignment for me. And at that same time, you know, Biddy Tarot, I was experimenting with like ebooks and selling ebooks and selling some readings and services. And I started to see more income coming through my business, the Biddy Tarot business. And in 2012, I made a bit of a deal with the universe. I said, right, universe, if you want me to leave corporate and go and do this tarot stuff full time, I need a sign that I can earn as much, if not more, through my business than in my corporate job. And so pretty much within a month of making that deal, I had already achieved that goal. And I was like, okay, what do I do now, right? I was like, okay, you've got to show me again. And then I waited. So for the second month, I also looked, um, I, I waited until I could have that equal income and it happened again. And I still wasn't sure because, of course, I'd invested so much of my life and my education in my corporate career. I just thought, am I just throwing all of this away? Um, but by the third month of having, you know, an increasing income in my business, I thought, right, that's it. Like, come on, what what other sign do I really need here? So it was that point uh, in 2012 that I did resign from my corporate world and then pursued Biddy Taru full time. And, you know, I haven't looked back, like the growth has been exponential. Uh, we're, I don't know, like 10 times, 15 times the size of, you know, in, in that, like in that eight years, well, no, eight years, six years, what are we 2018 now? <laughs> I'm always ahead of myself. Um, but it just goes to show that sometimes you've got to make that leap of faith and just trust that if your gut's going, yep, you can do this, even if it doesn't make sense on paper, you sometimes you just have to go for it. And I'd love to explore that growth story. But before we do, I have to ask, what was your lifestyle like while you were working the corporate job? Because it sounds like it was quite, it would be a full-on role, I imagine, with the management consulting and also in HR, and as well yeah. as growing the business. So did you have, what, what did life look like during that period? Well, there were a couple of years where I was working full-time in management consulting, traveling like pretty much every second week, and I was studying my master's degree in HR part-time, and I was doing my business on the side. So I'm like, I don't know when I really had time to breathe, but I would be studying, you know, like during the week nights and then during the weekends, I'd be doing some work on my online business. But for me, it was all play. Like online business for me is just playtime. Uh, so I felt actually really energized by doing that work. And, and as I said earlier, it was like a real creative outlet for me. And then fast forward, I had my first kid in 2009. So I was working about three days a week, 
doing Biddy Tarot a little bit on the side, a little bit at work because <laughs> there wasn't much work going on. I was like, I'm going to use my time to its fullest potential. Um, and then even in 2012, we decided to move to Spain for six months or travel in Spain for six months. So it's interesting you ask about lifestyle at that very point because we had both taken time away from work so we could travel. We were enjoying all this time with our family. I was working on the business like each morning and then we could go out in the afternoons and enjoy our time. And I thought this is a pretty good lifestyle. Why would I want to go back to an office job? Um, and I think that was part of that reason of going, right, this is, this is it. It's time to move on. Yeah, amazing. And so let's get into the growth story. So in 2012, you made the decision that you were going to focus all of your attention on Biddy Tarot. And did you have a team at that size? Was it just you in the business? And what were you selling at that point? And then if you want to talk through some of that growth story to what it was like back in 2012 and then also what's happened along the way to where you are now. Yeah, so 2012, um, the business was primarily ebook sales, uh, tarot readings, and quite a large bit was coming through advertising that we had on our website that went through to a third party and we'd earn commission from that. Um, and that's certainly the piece that really helped me say, yep, like let's let's do this and, and leave like the corporate world because that was beautiful, like passive income, that's for sure. Um, and at that stage, it was just me. It was just, you know, how can I, can I build a business here? By 2013, we were back in Spain for another six months. And I thought, well, for me to have a good like break with my family, I need to get some help. So that's when I hired my first um, assistant and her name was Kim and she is still with us uh, to this day. And she, like, I love that Kim has grown with us because when she signed on, she's probably thinking, I'm just helping this person, you know, do a bit of a hobby business. And now we've grown into what we have and, and she's grown with us. So that's been very lucky. Um, from there on, by about 2014, 2015, I'd started exploring doing online courses and we had quite a good amount of success. I really enjoyed the work. And I decided then that that's where I'd focus most of our energy and effort. So from that point onwards until now, we're mostly about like educating people around tarot and helping um, people learn how to read the cards and even create a business doing professional tarot readings. Um, during that time, you know, we've been continually growing the team where we're at right now is that we've got a team of 15 people who work around the globe. Um, and the beauty of that is it means that the business is operating without me. It's, you know, I'm, I'm obviously having strategic input and doing some of the content, but ultimately all of like the operations and the running of the business is happening by my team, which I absolutely love because it means I can spend more time with my family um, and still grow a business at the same time. So yeah, like right now in terms of revenue model, it's very much about our online courses. We have a membership site that was started two years ago that's doing really well. And eBooks continue to be a great source of revenue for us. Uh, we recently, well, in the last year or two, we moved to Amazon. So people can now get the eBook and a printed book via Amazon. And that's going really nicely. And then, of course, I um, 
published a book and a tarot deck this year through a traditional publisher. So that's been interesting to see how that's been growing as well. And I'd actually like to ask more about the publishing. Just before we do, I had a few more questions around the team. I think it sounds like the dream when you've built a team to the point where there's the operations are running themselves. And I imagine with a team of 15, you must have some kind of management structure or managers within that team who are managing some of the other staff. So yeah. what does that management structure look like? And, and has that evolved over time from when it was uh, just you and Kim? Yeah. So certainly early on, like as I was hiring, it would be like me managing every single team member. And it's more like they were helping me to do what I needed to do in the business. Uh, but this is where this is where this beautiful cycle happens, right? So having worked in a consulting firm and having done human resource management, I knew that like in order to build a really sustainable team in the long term, I needed to have more of an organizational structure that would support that growth. So one of my key rules has always been whenever you have a manager, always have an admin like assigned to that manager so that that way you can always leverage the work. Um, I don't ever want like a manager doing, you know, administrative tasks that could be done by anybody. It's, it's an ineffective use of um, like labor and cost, but also it becomes disengaging for that person. You know, I want their head to be in, um, you know, strategy and, progress and moving things forward. I, it's a whole different mindset to then be in like implementation and the doing side of things. So that's been key for me is have that manager admin um, piece in the structure. And then over the last couple of years, I've really moved towards having like our manager team. We have three um, three core managers and then they manage their teams. So I'm only dealing with three people and then they are managing their teams to then execute on whatever our strategy might be at that time or projects and so on. And that means that although I've got 15 people on the team, thank goodness I'm not managing 15 people. I'm just working with three people really and I trust them to then work with their teams um, as well. And actually if I can, I'll just cycle on to the trust piece as well because I think this has been really important. I said earlier that my intention at the start was like these people would help me move forward my dream. But where we're at now is we're so clear on what the vision and the mission is for Biddy Taro, and that is to bring Taro into the mainstream and be of service to those who really want to connect with their intuition and, and understand the Taro cards. So our team is highly motivated and energized around that mission. And they're not there to serve me. They're there to serve that mission. And it means that they're taking more responsibility and accountability for us being able to enable that mission, if that makes sense. That's such a great point around having clarity over the vision of the business, but also having that communicated to the team. So they're all on board. At what point did you feel like you had a clear vision? Was it clear back in 2012 or is it something that's evolved over time and changed? How did you actually get that clarity? It's an evolution and I believe it will continue to evolve uh, and shift. And, you know, this is, for me, this is also where business strategy and spirituality and intuition come together um, because I am so 
intuitively involved in my business as I am strategically involved. So for me, that means like really feeling into like, what's, what's my personal mission right now? What's my message that I need to send out into the world? You know, what is this kind of entity of Biddy Tarot? What are we here to do and here to serve? So certainly like around 2012, it was more like, how do I make a business uh, that can give me an income? And then it started to evolve in, well, how do I make a business that can sustain my family and make sure that we have a lifestyle that we want to live? And then it became, how do I create a business that can sustain a team? And then how do we create a business that sustains our clients and our customers? And now I'm feeling a really strong pull towards like, beyond just Biddy Tarot, you know, how do we create this awesome business, but how do we start to have a real positive influence in the tarot industry, but also the wider community? Like I'm so motivated around how do we normalize tarot and make it really accessible? And so I guess I'm feeling into that vision every time that I'm thinking about the business, every time that I'm doing strategy planning, I'm like, well, what's like, what, what am I really being asked to do and called to do here? And then that resonates through the way that we're setting up our organization, the things that we focus on and so on. And I, I have to ask, I'm curious, with the three managers, how did you decide what departments would be in your business? And, and the reason I ask is because I think ha- having worked in audit, I've seen a lot of corporate organizational structures before, but I feel like online businesses can be run differently and you might especially with small businesses, it can be hard to have 15 different departments that look after risk, legal, HR, marketing, and the different areas. So how did you decide and narrow it down to three areas and three managers? Yeah, it's kind of a bit of a dance. Like if I was to just wear my HR hat, I'd be thinking about, you know, it's kind of that operational sales and marketing, and you know, and then sort of the finance and HR and so on. But what I've found, and and I guess like this is the blessing of having your own business, you get to do it your way and you get to combine all of the wonderful things that you've experienced over your lifetime in a way that's unique to you. Um, So I'm blending like my sort of intuition again and the business strategy side. So I've... I, well, we always have conversations with our team about like, where are your strengths? What are your key talents? Like, what do you do so well? What lights you up? What engages you? And then we really make sure that people are in the right role, given their strengths and their talents. So I guess that's kind of how the manager team has formed is it's not so much like, right, piece, a piece of paper, what would be the right departments to have here and who do we put in those places? But it's a more of a dance between what does this particular person really excel at and how do we sort of create the role around that whilst also honouring the needs of the business? So for us, like our managers, um, we have Katie who's looking after marketing, sales and marketing. Um, we have Kim who's after looking after mostly the operational side of things, delivery, implementation and so on. And then Laura takes a little, well, I guess she's a bit more like the community. So she looks after our membership site, our help desk, and books and audio. So again, just playing to their strengths versus necessarily just putting on boxes on a paper on a piece of paper and assigning people into those boxes, if that makes sense. It does. Actually, that's actually how I've done it with Beanages too. And, and initially, I started with an organisational chart with all of the different roles. And at the beginning, a lot of my name was in a lot of those different boxes. And then it, it has actually evolved the other way. So looking at 
different team members and what are their strengths and weaknesses and where do they see themselves in a few years' time and what's the roadmap to get there. And it's evolved more like similar to what you've described where these particular roles have evolved in the business. And that actually surprised me a little bit because I had a picture of what a a corporate organisational structure looked like and I was trying to adapt that to a small business. And I think that's one of the benefits of a small business where you don't necessarily need to have a cut and dry job description and then try and find the person to fit into that. You can find great people and then mould the role so that it, it, it fits both the strategy of the business but also the goals of, of that individual. Yeah, and then also what I found is um, we often hire for like one role we get the person in, we see like how they perform and what they love doing and what's, you know, what's exciting them. And then we expand that role. So often, like as an example, we've just hired, well, not just like six months ago, we hired um, three help deskers and they're already right on top of help desk. And now we're seeing where they can grow into other parts of our business. So now we're kind of like layering up their roles and they start to have more of an established, um, you know, yeah, place in the organization. And yeah, it's, I don't know, again, it's a bit of a dance really because it's one setting the intention for who you want to have in there. And then it's feeling into like, where are their strengths and how can you marry that up with what the organization needs at the same time? And are you finding there, you mentioned that they're a distributed team. Are there particular regions where most of your team members are based or where you're having success in, in hiring? Um, yeah, it's interesting. We always like, we go out to our community whenever we're hiring. We always hire from our community because we know that they've got the same values. They are, you know, understanding what Biddy Tarot is really about. And we like to have folks who know how to read Tarot as well. It's a good advantage. So that means that we do go out to a global audience. Um, that said, we tend to have like, you know, a lot of Americans, mostly because our audience is two thirds uh, American. Um, you know, Canadians, well, we, so yeah, we have a Canadian on our team. We have a few Americans. We have some Aussies, um, India, Portugal, like all over the place. There's really no limits there. Although I have to admit, it's, it's kind of hard, like with Australia, because our employment laws are quite, um, strict, like it's, it's much harder to hire contractors. Um, so we have to just be mindful of like when we're hiring Aussies, that there's a whole different kind of setup um, to have an Aussie employee versus, say, an American employee. But, again, I mean, that's like we don't say, we're, like we're looking for the best person for the role. Uh, we're not like, oh, dear, the Aussie, no, can't do that because it's going to be too <laughs> too annoying to set it all up. Um, but it is good just to be aware of that. And, you know, the other piece is um, like pri- uh, pricing, I guess, but um, hourly rates, like in the U.S., the hourly rates are a lot lower than, say, Australia. So it does make it more affordable to hire from the US versus Australia as well. Yeah. And something else that we consider in our team is time zones. And I so we find that to have it with our management team, we've got someone based in Europe and in the US, and it's actually really difficult to find a, a time that works with those three time zones to have a management call. Yeah. And so... Something that we consider now is the time zone that people are based in related to their manager or the team that they're working in because 
that, that actually was a surprise to me of how, how difficult that can make things without, if team members are not or don't have much overlap with their, their times. Yeah. Even like, even with that, what we would do say in the hiring process is just know that, you know, you must be available during this time. And then I guess people will self-select if that's, you know, appropriate for them or not. Uh, We did that like with our help desk, we had the schedules that we needed people to work. And one was like an overnight for the US. And I thought, okay, we'll probably get Aussies applying for that. But we now, we have um, an awesome guy, Pete, who, uh, who has taken on that and he's working like two till five in the morning. I'm like, Pete, are you sure that this is okay? <laughs> it's like, it's fine. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, it all fits into my schedule. So you never know. Like, I think if you just put it out there, you never know that it might actually be quite convenient for someone. In, even though we think it's inconvenient. That's right. Give someone the option or, or ask the question. So before we started recording, you mentioned something about your plans for the future and working, I think you said something like working 10 hours a week. So I, I have to ask more about that and whether I had, have I got that right, that your intention in the future was is to work about 10 hours a week while growing this yes. uh, business? Yes, a hundred percent. So, um, like this year in particular, I've been actively working to drop my hours. So I've always had a mindset of like, if this is my business, I need to work full time and full time is 40 hours a week. But I'd find that I was getting like stressed, cranky, you know, wasn't too excited about work by that sort of 35th hour of the week. Um, and so I made a commitment this year to drop my work hours down to 30 and now it's probably down to about 25. And the thing that I'm hearing from within me is next year, I need to drop it down even more. Like I need to have a period of rest so that I can sit in that void, I suppose, and feel into what's coming next for us as a business. So this is, I guess this is the advantage of having a team of 15 that I fully trust uh, because I know that they can take care of business. We can continue to grow without me necessarily being active within the business. So yes, my intention is 10 hours a week. I want to do like a creative week at every quarter as well. So that means um, no work at all for a week. And it's that space for me to just go and do whatever I like to do. And if I want to think about work, that's okay. But just no like admin Slack or Trello, that kind of or email, that kind of thing. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it, and I feel like I've worked really hard to get to this place, and now it's time to really enjoy like the fruits of my labor and what we've created as a company, uh, and also to give my team like an opportunity to really shine and lead the company and, and grow it while I chill out at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> I love that and that creative week concept as well. Yes. And so how will you create the discipline around that to actually stop work? Um, and it sounds like you've already started doing that. So do you have set times that you're working or, or how do you create the structure so that you don't work more than how, the number of hours that you would like to each week? It's really hard. I know it sounds like so counterintuitive. It's so hard to stop working, right? Because, I mean, I think, you know, entrepreneurs, we're wired to just be thinking work all of the time. So it is a challenge. Um What I've done is I've let my team know that that's my goal. And so they're holding me accountable to that. Uh, It also gets them energized to sort of see like how much can we squish Bridget out of the business. Um, And my assistant is very aware of it too. So she's really good at 
protecting my calendar now and saying, no, you can't do meetings in this week or what have you. Um, and I think, I mean, I work really well with the schedule. So I imagine that next year I will adjust my schedule very much so that I know, you know, maybe it's just three mornings um, a week that I'm working and then the rest is all blocked out. So I, I see it just as simple as calendar management and just managing my to-do list effectively. Oh, and the other piece is we just make better decisions about what it is that we do in the business. And so again, entrepreneurial mind, I'm always coming up with ideas about how to expand and do new things in the business. And now we have some criteria that say, all right, is this going to help us grow with ease? And oftentimes it's like, oh, actually, no, it's not. So we won't do that. So then that blocks me out of doing new projects and trying to fill up my extra time with stuff, which is the exact opposite of what I'm trying to do, which is no stuff, more space, so I can really feel into what's coming next. That's a great answer. And it's something that I have difficulty with. The Bean Ninjas was started with the concept of growing a seven-figure business and working less than 20 hours a week. And I'm not even close to the working 20 hours a week at the moment. And it only works for me working less if I schedule, if I've got surfing or I'm meeting someone to go mountain bike riding or I know I've got a yoga class, it'll make me stop work. And then I know, okay, I can go and enjoy that time. But if there's nothing scheduled, nothing fun scheduled or a reason to stop work, then because I quite enjoy working too, or there's lots of ideas that I want to explore, I can find it very difficult to have that discipline. So I'm going to take note of what you said, Bridget, and hopefully I can report back. It's probably going to take me some time to implement it, but report back in six months and say that I have reduced my own work hours. Actually, do you know, there's a great book that I've read recently called Clockwork and it's by Mike. I can never say his last name. The same guy who wrote Profit First. Um, And Clockwork talks very much about how can you get your business set up in a way so you can take a four-week vacation. Um, And so, you know, like if you're looking at your uh, ideal of 20 hours a week, like look at what's getting in the way of that. What can you delegate? What can you, you know, stop doing? Um, Do you need to hire? What what can you hand over and so on? So it's I, I think it's a really good exercise to help you build a robust and sustainable organization that will be there for the long term and get you to the beach. Yes, (laughs) the important part. Well, we're drawing to a close, but I had two other things that I wanted to ask you about. Earlier in the interview, you mentioned publishing and you talked about publishing on Amazon or selling a book on Amazon, but then also going down the more traditional publishing route. And I just wanted to ask quickly what your experience was with those two different mediums and, and any thoughts or tips that you had to share around that. Yeah, so publishing, like self-publishing, like we use Create Space and then they sell automatically on Amazon. Um, it has been awesome. Like from a financial perspective, it's great because you get to keep a lot of the, the profits uh, and even, you know, sales numbers are really solid Um, it's been a really positive experience in the self-publishing world. The only drawback is it's 
like we can't get our book into a Barnes and Noble or an Angus and Robertson or, you know, the main bookstores. It's, it's a challenge to get that sorted. And it's also harder for us to get that book into different countries. So it's easy for the US, but it's harder for like Australia and UK, um, which is a pain because we do have quite a few of our community in, in those countries. Um, on the flip side, you've got, you know, traditionally published book. So the really good things about that is we have got an absolutely stunning book. Like it's a hardcover. It's got beautiful illustrations from Eleanor Grosh. Um, the everyday tarot deck is stunning. And even better, you know, we can offer these at a much lower price. Like the tarot deck is $12.95 and the book is, I think, $25. Um, so that's certainly the advantage. You get a, a beautiful product at a lower cost when you can publish um, traditionally. Plus, we also get the expanded reach. So we have got the Everyday Tarot Deck now in Urban Outfitters all across the US, so 245 stores, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and that would not be possible as a self-published um, author and of course, you know, we can get this book across different countries and in different bookstores as well. But the downside is from a financial perspective, you know, you're getting quite small royalties. Um, and there's, I guess there's a bit less control with how you sell that book and how you use it. So it's we've, we've more like sent that little book off into the universe and, and said, you know, like we wish you well and we love you and we know that you can make make a life of your own and, and all that good stuff. Whereas the self-published, we're still like we're still nurturing and parenting that book and because um, we have a bit more control over it. So I don't, at the end of the day, I don't, I don't think one is necessarily better than the other. It all depends on what your goals are. Um, I love that we've done the traditionally published book because it means that we're reaching a much wider audience. Uh, and I love that we've self-published because it just shows, you know, I, I just feel a stronger sense of ownership with that and um, there's more that we can do with that on its own. Yeah, that's a great answer. and. As you said at the end, it sounds like it depends on what your goals are as to which of those options will be the most suitable. Yeah. Well, Bridget, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a really fun chat. And lastly, if our audience did want to get in touch with you or learn more about Biddy Tarot, where is the best place to do that? Yeah, so come on over to biddytarot.com and we've got awesome free resources and training for people who want to get more in touch with their intuition. And obviously, you know, tarot is a very normal tool. You don't have to be like psychic or woo-woo or whatever to read tarot. So even if this has just piqued a little bit of interest, head on over. You can read a little bit more about um how I like to work with the tarot and how we can integrate it into our everyday lives in a really normal and, you know, grounded, practical, down-to-earth way. So, yeah, biddytarot.com. And if you want to check out the book Everyday Tarot, you can go to everydaytarot.com or wherever good books and now tarot decks sold. Thank you. Thank you.